The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You know, when I get a craving to go cheeks to cheeks, I slide on down Mount Pleasant and head for adamandeve.com. They got the wet turtle, the lollipopper, and the yank. Make me feel like a walrus in a mud puddle. The buttery sex walrus, that is. And at the checkout, I just type in the offer code RISK to get 50% off just about any item. Plus three free Northern days! Free shipping and a free extra gift. So go to adamandeve.com today. And remember that offer code RISK. Because I can't stay this oily forever. And, um, you promised to bring the butt loop. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is the Black on White Affair behind me now. We're calling today's episode Holiday Stories Number 7, which, let's be frank, kids, is a is a bit of a stretch because the stories that were told at our recent New York and Los Angeles live shows for the holidays... A lot of them kind of strayed (laughs) from the subject of the holidays. But what the fuck? There are four wonderful stories, and if nothing else, the storyteller ends with Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year. Now, speaking of the New Year, guys, we have so much sweet holy motherfucking shit happening. 
On the 15th of January, we're going to be in San Francisco on a date that has yet to be determined. We're going to be in Nashville. Always go to risk-show.com slash tour to double-check dates. On the 27th of January, we're in Brooklyn, our first show at our new home, The Bell House. And on the 28th of January, we'll be in Los Angeles. Now, please be sending in your pitches for the Nashville show. That will be the theme of humiliating. Uh, February, we're coming to Carborough, North Carolina. The theme is holy shit. Austin, Texas, the theme is confused. Houston, Texas, the theme is hostile. And Dallas, 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 the theme is guilty. Pitch me at Kevin at risk-show.com. Now we are going to start with one of our favorites. She's a regular on the show. The beautiful, wonderful, hilarious, always surprising, Aubrey O'Day. Here she is at the Nerdist showroom in Los Angeles, California, with a story we call Great on Paper. Three years ago, I was filming my show all about Aubrey. I went to a charity event and I met this guy who was part of the charity event who got up and spoke and he had an amazing suit. He was the best looking guy. He was great on paper in every way. He went to Stanford, he had money, he drove a nice car, he was witty, he was sharp, he was funny. He was incredibly intelligent. Just everything you could want on paper. So I got really excited about this guy. We went on a few dates, and we got to the point where it was clear that we were gonna move on and have sex. So I came over, he invited me over to have dinner, and I went shopping all day. I picked out the perfect lingerie, like created a whole scene in my head about how it was gonna go down. <laughs> and I got to his house. He had made this gorgeous dinner. We talked all night, everything was going great. And I went into the kitchen and I opened up the fridge at some point to get something to drink and I noticed that everything in his fridge was color coordinated perfectly. <laughs> so, so he had like the cranberry next to the grape. It was like a little rainbow in the fridge. And I was like, okay, that's weird, but I appreciate the organization of it all. <laughs> and then I went to the cupboard and I opened it up at some point and I saw labels. Everything was perfectly labeled. And I was like, wow, this guy, like, you know, he's great with his labels. And so I was like, this is the time. We went and sat on the couch. And before I sat down, I noticed he like shook a, a like a blanket out and put it down before I sat on his like pristine white couches. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go pretend to go to the bathroom, go upstairs and prepare myself. So I went upstairs and I took off my jeans. I had like my cute little panties on and I like, you know, lowered my tank top and everything. And I wanted to make it like look super effortless, super cool, no try hard. So I called him up there. My plan was like I was going to bend over just as I like heard him coming up the stairs and like pretend I dropped my phone so I give him a nice little like booty shot. <laughs> you know, but just like super effortless. So, so. So he comes up the stairs, I like bent over, and I was like, <laughs> and he's like, uh, what is it that you're doing right now? And I was like, oh, you know, I, I just dropped my phone, hold on. <laughs> he goes, no, uh, what is it though that you think you're doing right now? I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, I was like trying to be sexy, like, sorry. <laughs> And he goes, what I know you're not doing right now is sitting on my bed in your street clothes. <laughs> so I was like, this motherfucker's gotta be kidding. This shit is way too weird. And then he, I looked at him, I'm like, you're, you're kidding, right? He marches over into the bathroom, flicks on the shower, walks over the other side of the bed, and he's like, go ahead and let me know when you're done. 
And then he started taking off the pillowcases and the sheets to wash. <gasps> what? <laughs> so I was like, this is some weird shit, but he's really fucking good on paper. So I'm gonna get in the shower. We're just gonna deal with this. <laughs> the shit we do for people that are good on paper, okay? So I got in the shower, great night, etc. So we end up continuing to date. A couple months go by. We're about maybe like three months in and I got used to taking showers or baths every time you know I had to get in the fucking bed and I like excused it like you know he doesn't want street germs in his bed like that's what he called him (laughs) so I just like got used to the whole like street germs thing and then one night we're laying in bed he's passed out I couldn't sleep I had to go to the bathroom so I go in the bathroom sitting there on the toilet looking around I'm noticing like damn this guy is like legit anal like he had three towels on this side three towels on that side perfect color coordination perfect color coordination the fucking bath mat was like vacuumed in the same direction like they had the vacuum marks and all his carpet was white like perfectly vacuumed all in the same direction like long shag carpet like he was just very particular so I get up, washing my hands, like, you know, go to the soap dispenser, and I notice, like, he has restoration hardware, like, their wood panels on the bottom and then the, like, clear part at the top for the soap. So I go to click it, and the shit breaks in half. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? Normally, like, any normal person would be like, in the morning, yo, I broke your fucking soap thing. I got you. But I could not do that with Mr. Good on paper that's like super fucking anal. So I'm like pacing back and forth in the bathroom. Like, what am I going to fucking do? I just broke this dude's soap dispenser. (laughs) So I start going through all his drawers, like trying to figure out a solution, thinking maybe there's like some super glue or like something random in one of the fucking drawers. So there was nothing. And I had my blow dryer and my curling iron in there. And I saw like on the bottom of the clear part, the like glue circle. You know how like when shit comes apart, you can see where they glued it. So I was like, maybe if I plug in my iron and I like rub it around a little bit, it'll warm up the glue and I can stick the shit back on. (laughs) So I put my fucking iron on, warm it up, put it on the thing, hold it down, said a fucking prayer to God. (laughs) I don't even know that I believe in God, so it was like really deep. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) and then I was like, okay, this is perfect. And I go to just like tap it just a little bit and the shit falls apart again. I'm like, fuck. So then I look over and he's got his like matching toothpaste thing with the toothpaste in it and the toothbrushes. And I was like, toothpaste, that's what's going to work here. Because, you know, it's like tacky. And then when it dries, like hardens a little bit. You know, have you ever had like the toothpaste stains on your? Okay, well, whatever. So I like got out the toothpaste and I like rubbed it all on perfectly. Got it all like situated, put the thing on, held it down for like five minutes shaking. Like this has to work. This has to work. I don't want to lose this guy. So... I tested it and it worked. It seemed like it was holding together and I figured like he'll think he broke it the next day, it's fine. So I went back to bed, lay down, finally get some sleep and I wake up with a tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. (laughs) I turned around and he's like, did you happen to use the bathroom earlier? I was like, no, I I don't know. I don't know anything about a bathroom. (laughs) He was like, so you're telling me you didn't use the bathroom earlier? And I was like, well, I don't know, maybe. And he was like, yeah, uh, did you happen to wash your hands while you were in the bathroom, though? And I was like, um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I cleaned my hands. I know how you are about germs. Like, let's go back to bed, rolled over. He didn't say anything, so I was like, fuck, okay, just want to make sure I had washed my hands before I got back in. <laughs> so I closed my eyes again, and I get a, Tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. I open my eyes, and the fucking two pieces of the soap dispenser are sitting on the nightstand next to me. And he's like, do you want to explain that? So at this point, a few things were going on in my mind. One, how the fuck am I going to like try to manipulate him to make him think this is his issue? And... <laughs> And the second thing was, dude, this guy's a fucking piece of shit. Like, for real, I'm completely 
being the opposite of who I am naturally as a person and I'm conforming to like all his weird shit because I don't want to lose the guy that's good on paper. And you guys know, females out there, you can act as fucking strong and mighty as you want. When you have a guy that's like pretty much what you want, we tend to bend over a little bit too much in every way. <laughs> so... I told him, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's no big deal. I'll get you a new one. He's like, you will be buying me a new one. I was like, okay, okay I, got, I got you. Went back to bed. Next day, fucking first thing on my list before all the other things that I was doing that were important to me, I went and got him a fucking matching set again, put it in his house. He was happy. We moved on. So we're about like six months, six, seven months in. He invites me to Thanksgiving. So I'm like, you know, my family does Thanksgiving, all my friends do it, we cook, you know, I love turkey stuffing, you know, all the shit, like it's one of my favorite holidays. He was like, well, I'm gonna need you to be there with my family if you wanna be my woman. So I was like, okay. (laughs) So he tells me, you know, his family's gonna be his mom and his sister. So it was us guys, it was a small little affair. I wake up early that morning, picked out the perfect outfit. I fucking made my dog's outfits. I had a, like, turkey and Indian. Like, you know, we were doing it right. And I get there, and I'm super excited because it's, like, my favorite day. So I call him on the way, and he's like, I was like, you know, my dog's night. I dressed them up. And he was like, uh, you're not bringing your dogs to my house, though. And I was like, no, I, I am bringing my dogs to your house. They're my family. They're the only family that I have, and I don't spend Thanksgiving without my dogs. He was not an animal person, clearly. Um, But he just didn't fuck with dogs. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and bring my dogs, and I will go back. I'll get their, like, little metal cage thing, and we'll put them in there, and I'll put down pee pads. It'll be fine. So I show up to this guy's house with their little, like, gold metal cage, and I put the fucking cardboard down and the newspapers and the pee pads, and I lined it perfectly. I had the whole shit, like, situated. Put them in it thought I did really good the mom comes the sister comes we're eating and we start to like go in the kitchen and start making food and I realize we're not having turkey we're not having stuffing mashed potatoes like any of the things that happen at Thanksgiving because they don't really believe in Thanksgiving like his mom let me know and so they just use it as a time for the family to come together and so we had like shrimp gumbo and like all kinds of crazy things I'd never had most of which I really liked and we weren't really celebrating Thanksgiving so I lost my Thanksgiving to be here with this man and his family and eat shrimp gumbo with his mom but it turns out the two kids are allergic to fish so it was really his mom and I were the only people eating the fucking shrimp gumbo which was like total shit but whatever I'm not gonna judge so so then I noticed the whole time his mom was like really taken by my dog. She loved them. She kept going over to the cage, playing with the dog. She was with them all day long. And I thought like, I did really good. See, you're fucking anal about this shit. My dogs are like killing it. (laughs) And And so I, you know, his mom became great friends with my dogs, had a great time. They left. Night was over. Kiss my dogs goodnight, walk upstairs, and I'm like, you know, we're going to grab the dogs and bring them up. He's like, your dogs aren't allowed anywhere in my house. They're going to stay in the cage for the night. And I was like, well, I always sleep with my dogs. Like, I'm not going to put them in a cage three floors down. And he was like, no, you are going to keep them in a cage. They're not going anywhere near the upstairs areas. So I was like, okay, like, this was really like one of the last straws for me because they're my fucking dogs. And I'm very obsessed with my dogs. So, Put him in their cage, kiss him goodnight, go upstairs, go to kiss him goodnight. And he's like, uh, you chose who you were going to kiss tonight. (laughs) Don't put those lips near me. I was like, okay. Rolled around, laying down. We go to bed. Middle of the night, I hear this big crash and I shot up. And I was like, what the fuck? Looking around, he didn't even notice that he was like deep sleeper. I'm like looking around like, I think I just heard like, I don't know if someone tried to break any, I had like crazy alarm systems and all kinds of shit rigged in his house. So I would have like heard something. So I was like, okay, maybe I just heard something. Laid back down for like maybe five or 10 minutes and I smelled the fucking craziest smell and I shot back up and I was like, there's only one thing that smells like that and it is my dog shit. 
And we're talking three stories. So the fact that the fucking, like, I could smell the shit at the top floor was, like, crazy. So I walked down, tiptoe past him, walked down the first flight of stairs, look around, go down the second one. There's a guest bedroom. Go in the guest bedroom. Smells fucking crazy. I flicked on the lights and I see my dog directly in front of me shaking with fucking shit all over his face, paws, body, everything. Shaking like freak the fuck out. And I look next to the bed and there was this huge puddle of diarrhea on his white shag carpets next to the bed. So I'm like, So I run to the bathroom, fucking tearing through everything, trying to find carpet cleaner. Like, what the fuck do I do? What do I do? I couldn't find anything. This motherfucker only had a toothbrush and like the essential like germ killers. So I called my mom. I'm like, mom, the fuck do I do? The dog shit. I don't know what the fuck to do. I can't find any cleaner. He's got white shed carpets. My mom was like, just pick it up. I'm like, I picked it up. There's fucking shit. She was like, go get like a bucket of water and like see if there's any type of cleaning thing and like, get it wet in that area and try to like lift it up off the fucking shag. So I went and got water. I saw some like uh, Ajax, that stuff that stuff that you, yeah. So I mixed a little bit of the Ajax with the water thinking like there's gotta be bleach in it. Maybe I'll like whiten it up a little bit. So I like pasted it on. I was fucking like this whole thing. It took me like two hours to get all this shit up. I was scrubbing the whole time. I'm fucking lose this guy. You motherfucker, I'm taking you back to the pound, you piece of shit. Like, fucking angry piss cussing out my baby my little fucking boy going off like scared as shit so i i get up it's there's just like a brown mushy stain but he had like all these fucking fake like potted plants so i moved the potted plant over there was only a little bit after that and i was like i could probably still get away with this he probably doesn't even go into his guest bedroom somebody else will take the fall for this one so i walk out <laughs> I grab my dog. I'm like, I need to go put him back in the cage. So I go to take a step down the stairs, and I just felt like the gushiest feeling in between my toes. The fucking intruder thing, alarm goes off. It's like, person entering floor one, person entering floor one. The fucking light flicked up. I was like, shit. So I rolled back, fucking got behind the tree, and I was like, posed like behind the fucking like branches of the fucking thing, and I'm watching him come down the stairs. Walks down the stairs. I'm thinking maybe he's sleepwalking. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Comes down. He looks down the stairs. And the whole time I have my eyes like directly on him. He looks down the stairs. He looks at me and he's like, what the fuck is going on? And I look down the stairs. And from the stairs all the way to his white couch was diarrhea. Paw prints of diarrhea. Climbed up the fucking couch. And here's the best part. Little pieces of rejected shrimp. So I see the shrimp, and I had a moment where I was about to start, like, trying to climb my way out and blame it on other people. And then I was like, this motherfucker. I looked at him. I grabbed my dogs, and I was like, listen here. My fucking dog shit all over your house because your fucking mom who doesn't even cook real fucking Thanksgiving, and I gave up my fucking Thanksgiving to be here with your family, gave my fucking dog shrimp gumbo all goddamn night long while she was over there petting him, gave this motherfucker crazy diarrhea. I'm talking all kinds of really, really graphic shit with little pieces of shrimp all over it. This is your fucking fault. And by the way, you're fucking anal. I fucking hate your personality. I hate your character. I fucking hate you and your fucking germaphobe ass. I've been fucking miserable this whole relationship. And I fucking hate being with you. I hate being in your house. I hate following your fucking rules. You're a piece of shit. Good luck cleaning my fucking dog shit out of your carpet. Fuck you. And I grabbed my dogs and I took off. And this is this is my little baby. Cutie, right? Can you believe I told him I was gonna take him back to the pound, little angel? So So the moral of this story is the whole idea of good on paper 
is total bullshit. And the only way you can ever really know if you're right with somebody is to see how they live, observe their character, and see how they treat you. And if they don't treat you well, I'll come over to your house and let my dog shit all over his fucking place. morning on New Year's Day and I'm downtown Minneapolis waiting for a bus to go to work. Coldest day of the year I could see my own breath. Feeling pretty sorry for myself because I hadn't spent the night before drinking delicious whiskey shots, slamming kamikaze shooters, but had fallen asleep well before midnight and woke up well rested like a jerk. This all made me feel really old and lame and stupid. I'm feeling pretty sorry for myself when I see that there's this old homeless guy walking up to the bus stop. Now, this is the kind of guy some people might be a little afraid of. He's big with kind of hollowed in eyes and sunken cheeks with a red face and nose that you get from your chronic street alcoholism. But I'm not scared of him because he's wearing one of those red and white Santa hats. And with his shock of snarly white hair, he's just a little too much of a holiday caricature for me to take. So I don't try and pay him any attention or those two large garbage bags he's got lugged behind him, but before I decide to ignore him, I notice that he's wearing two mismatched men's dirty tube socks for gloves. He catches me peeking and he says that a guy had stolen his gloves while he was sleeping at the shelter. He says it's not so much that this guy took my gloves that bothers me, but the fact that I didn't think this particular guy would do me like that. Now, I instantly feel bad for the guy because I know a lot about betrayal, but I turn to him and I say, well, I guess it could have been worse. He could have got your boots. And this seems to cheer up old Santa an awful lot. He laughs and tells me, yeah, that would be a lot worse situation for me. And he smiles at me, this totally infectious, broken tooth smile. And, and I smile too, forgetting all about how sad I am over the fact that I didn't spend the night before as a raging alcoholic and all self-absorbed I've been all morning. Now, eventually the number 17 pulls up and we both get on. Old Santa doesn't have the fare, but the driver lets him on after busting his balls a little bit, and we both find seats near the front. I wave goodbye to him, figuring that's pretty much the end of it, when um, I go into my bag to get a book, and I realize I've got an extra pair of mittens in there. I think about it for a second, and I think since I'm probably about half a paycheck from being one of those gals at the freeway with the cardboard sign, that it might be my best interest to fork over a little goodwill. I go over to Santa, and I sit next to him for a second, uh, touch him on the shoulder, and ask him if he'd like my extra pair of gloves. And he takes them from me and looks at him like some sort of holy cross or star, and he doesn't say anything at first. He's real quiet, but... Then he grabs one of those big black garbage bags and he pulls out a collection of hand puppets. Now, I find hand puppets terrifying on a good day. But he pulls out one that's in the shape of an old owl. And this owl is wonky and sad with peeling black eyes that are just barely holding on. Old Santa grabs it and he starts putting on this sort of short but lively puppet show for me, dancing around with the hand puppet. 
I'm looking at this thing and I realize that he's attached plastic mistletoe around this owl's neck. And he gestures at the end of his show for me to give the owl a little smooch. In retrospect, I could see some ways out of this. I mean, this owl is dirty and sad and came out of this homeless guy's garbage bags. Most people would say, no, thank you. But we cheered this moment at the bus stop of like real and true optimism. So who was I to turn down his gift? And if I did, would there be consequences? Would he grab one of those warm gloves I gave him and slap me across the face with it like an old Frenchman preparing for duel? So I reach over, kiss that owl real gently and quick, and without even really thinking about it, I say, Good day, Sir Owl, in my best, like, funny voice. Like, it's not enough to just kiss this owl. I've got to match him show for show. And old Santa, he cackles, and we both laugh, and... And sit there in silence for a while, you know, at peace with our little routines. After a few minutes, this other guy gets on the bus, and he looks like a normal guy to me. He's wearing a nice suit, he's clean, uh, well-dressed, but Santa seems to know him somehow. And after a while, I figure out this guy's he's a little crazy. He keeps talking about New Year's Eve and slutty girls over and over again. And Santa reaches over to me and whispers into my ear, that guy is nuts. And I reach over to Santa, whisper in his ear, you know, I don't think the homeless guy with the bag full of hand puppets and the girl kissing those said hand puppets on the bus should be judging the sanity of others. And old Santa just laughs, gets up off the bus, waves goodbye to me, and I've never seen him again. But this is why part of me just loves the bus. Anything can happen if you let it. Maybe an old guy will tell you about the time he shot a mugger in the butt, or some old Somalian kid will see you playing a first-generation Game Boy and say, man, that old lady's getting her Tetris on. Or maybe, if you were as lucky as I was, uh, some old homeless dude will put on a puppet show so crazy that you will finally get over yourself. This is Risk. This is Joseph Spence behind me now with some uh, backup vocals from yours truly. And we just heard from Jenna Mathis of Minneapolis. She shared her story about Santa taking the bus. And in just a bit, we're going to hear from the super sexy, super brilliant Connor Habib. Good friend of mine. Connor is a porn star. And he is the author of a book called The Sex Book that is coming out in 2015. But before that, the wonderful Matt Donnelly. You can find him on Twitter at SweetMattyD. He's also the co-host of two different podcasts, Penn Sunday School and Matt and Mattingly's Ice Cream Social. Here he is now at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles at the Nerdist showroom with a story we call... Man in the Mirror. My story kind of starts in uh, Redback, New Jersey in the 90s, as, uh, 
that's uh, the biggest uh, reaction that's ever gotten. So um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and it was a very important time. I remember that riding the success of Clerk and Mallrats, Kevin Smith decided to adopt my hometown as his hometown. And I thought he was bringing like indie Hollywood to my hometown at 17 years old when I was doing a little improv show. During that same time, there's a, by total kismet, whatever, an aspiring writer came to see that show, saw me perform, wrote the rest of this movie that he'd only written 20 pages with me in mind as the main character, pitched it to Kevin Smith, and I thought at 17 years old, I was going to get so famous uh, right here in my hometown. Kevin loved the script, and so at 17 years old, I was asked to go to his office and audition for him for it, and I, at the time, was a very inexperienced actor. I was doing improv comedy uh, for two whole years, and um, I was used to riding waves of uh, intimate theater, much like this one, in terms of energy, and uh, when I went into audition, that wave of energy never came because it felt like, um, what's it called? An audition. Um, <laughs> and I sucked, and I sucked. And then the strangest thing happened is that the guy who wrote the script for me doubled down on me, went to bat for me, said, this guy is amazing, you just don't understand. Please bring him back. And we spent the next two months rehearsing this movie from start to finish. I knew this movie inside and out. And we decided we were going to bring a whole uh, bunch of other players from my comedy group in to play other bit parts. We were going to basically act out this whole movie for him, and I would show him what I was made of. And not only did I suck again, but Kevin really liked this other guy in my comedy troupe and cast him in my role. And uh, that was a fine, fine introduction to show business. So it sucked. I was down. I was not thrilled with how that was going. And suddenly this fame that I thought I was going to catch at 17 was gone from my grasp. I was still very much doing it in improv comedy, and I would happen to work for a guy who used to work for CBS. He decided he was going to try to produce a television show, but it felt like, hey, that seems to be the energy of my hometown. We're going to be like the Seattle of independent stuff. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert, that never happened. Um, but I convinced him that an improv comedy show would be super cheap and easy, and I back myself up with my own college fund. Now, when I say my college fund... There's a special element to this that is ultimately tragic, which is that like, I had money set aside given to me because my mother died of a heart attack at an amusement park. Yeah, and uh, I was with her at the time. And so this money that was given to me by a company that rhymes with Blot Blisney, um, <laughs> I thought whatever I put that behind, my, my now 18, 19-year-old mind thought like this must be magic, that there must be something, I was meant to do something with this money. I'm now an atheist. Because <laughs> that did not happen. <laughs> I basically kind of lost my shit. Like this was in the 90s and I was watching like Kobe Bryant, the same age as me, become the successful basketball player. I was watching this guy from Napster become a millionaire. And it just seemed like there was a time where just at the, at the end of the 90s, like money was just going everywhere and young people were making a ton of it and I was supposed to be in on this gig. Why? Because I'm an unqualified, barely tested improviser in Redback, New Jersey. <laughs> so the lack of success sends me into a complete tailspin. I kind of become a depressed insomniac. I, I, I'm so depressed and so out of it all the time that I'd rather people think I was an alcoholic than depressed. So I would go out and have beers and not really drink, but then go to work late and people would be like, oh, did you have a tie another one on? I'd be like, oh yeah, I was crazy last night. I watched channels until the sun came through my window and I hated myself. Um, <laughs> in this kind of tailspin of depression, I would go to this, uh, uh, yeah, my, my landing spot, by the way, was becoming an assistant manager of the second largest walk-in humidor attached to a seafood steakhouse right on the main street of Redback, New Jersey. That's right. Um, so I'm working in the tropical uh, rainforest, basically, and uh, hating everything. And uh, I would go to work late on purpose because if I did, then the restaurant would send me out to do small errands as punishment, which means I didn't have to sit there and work for another extra hour. So if I went to work late and got punished, I wouldn't have to work for two hours from when I should have been working in the first place. This seemed like a great deal for a depressed insomniac. <laughs> One day I go to get breakfast for everybody working the day shift. A cook comes out from the back and says, hey, you're taking that back to Ash's uh, Cigar Club. I said, yeah. He goes, tell Brian, uh, Danny from Skinny Legs says hi. Like, the words don't make any sense to me. <laughs> but I remember them. And I go back to Brian, the cook, and I say, hey, uh, 
Danny from the deli says uh, hi uh, from Skinny Legs or something. He goes, oh, it's my dad's bar in the Virgin Islands. And like a light bulb goes off like never before. I was so depressed. I felt like I needed to get the fuck out of my hometown. I was being pressured by my older brothers to like go get jobs somewhere, to go do something real. They even tried to get me jobs and I would like uh, fail like personality tests and stuff like that. <laughs> I basically like felt so horrible and I want to get away from everyone. I, it, it continued to tailspin the point where I was borrowing money from friends, borrowing money from family. I was missing car payments. I was driving around with a car with no insurance um, in New Jersey. And um, I basically like hated that I needed like a timeout. That like all the success I thought would come away was not coming away and like all of a sudden the Virgin Islands popped into my brain and I was like there is a place that I can run away and no one will feel bad for me. No one feels sad. There'll be no pity party for me. And let me tell you something. I was right. <laughs> if you want people to get pissed at you, you show them that you bought a one-way ticket to the Virgin Islands. <laughs> I kept showing people that, and I was off. I, I packed up all my shit into three bags, and I brought my friend with me. It was like a, it was like a, a Jesus-like moment of weakness where I begged my entire comedy group to come with me, and one guy was like, sure. Um, <laughs> So, so me, and, me and my buddy Steve moved to the island. And I was going for this soul-searching thing. He just was like, nah, I got nothing better to do. Um, I was like, yeah, why not? I never lived there. Um, so so uh, we were on two very different personal journeys, but one really cool, fun one. And we land in the Virgin Islands. Now, I, I grew up in the Jersey Shore. So we have seasons and we have off-seasons. And our off-season just means the locals kind of still go everywhere. And it's not super packed at the beaches during the day. So when I heard I was moving down to the Virgin Islands in the off-season, I thought it would be much similar to that. Off-season in the Virgin Islands means everything is closed for the month. That's what it means. So we got off the boat with all of our bags and our stuff, and just there was just no one around. They're literally, like, everyone cleared off the boat, everyone walked away, we sat there by ourselves with our three bags, and we just heard chickens. <laughs> and a few walked by us. The bar uh, that I was trying to go there through my connection from Brian the cook to go work for his dad. Uh, he wasn't even on the island. Everything that I had written down in my two-hour meeting with Brian to know everything I need to know about living in St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands was on this piece of paper. And I just looked at the front and looked at the back and looked at the front looked at the back and realized I just didn't know enough to be where I was at that moment in time. <laughs> and then we went around looking for jobs for three days very unsuccessfully. And a panic move, we went to this place called Maho Bay Camps on the north end of the island where they live in like little tent cottages, kind of like more like tree houses than anything else. Like you basically live in a tree house when you stay there as a guest. I put a credit card down that I knew was maxed. I was just hoping to stall there long enough until I got a job to pay for the room once that would happen. I wasn't going to find a job. As a matter of fact, after five days, I realized that I uh, didn't even have enough money to get home if I wanted to. The only way to get out of the situation for uh, with the max credit card and trying to stay there was to apply for a job at Maho Bay Camps, where they give you a place to stay if they hire you. And so my buddy Steve and I sandbagged there long enough where we, there was a talent show. We entered the talent show, did an improv show. I guess no one in St. John ever heard of improv because they thought we were gods among men. <laughs> and we got hired. And so they never found out that my credit card was maxed, and uh, I was working there. Now, during this time, during my tailspin, I was going to see a therapist. And I remember he was offering me to maybe get me on pills to get me out of my depression. At the time, as a very personal choice. I thought, I don't want to do the pill route. I was very young at the time. I felt like I could correct this. I felt like I needed to get out of it. It was a personal thing. There's no judgment on people who, who use pills to get out of depression. Depression is fucking awful. But I didn't want to do it. And then when I told my therapist about this Virgin Island plan, I remember I told my therapist, I'm like, I could just see a happy version of me on an island. Like, this vision is stupid. It's like a cartoon. There's like a little sandy spit, little palm tree. But on there, I see me. I can see me very clearly. And I'm authentically happy. I'm smiling. The weight of the world is not on me. And I'm just cool with what's happening. And I can see that in my mind. And for the first four months I was in the Virgin Islands, I was still very depressed, still working through a lot of shit. That car that I was missing payments on got impounded. And the Virgin Islands showed me how they handled that. I 
told one person my car got impounded. That night, there was a surprise uh, luau barbecue for me on the beach, celebrating my car getting impounded by all my coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking around this island, and every picture of it was a postcard. And I was looking at all these people, everybody who lived on the island, and I was realizing that everyone is here because something shitty happened in their lives. Like, nobody is on the island because they're like, yeah, it makes sense. I'll move to an island. Nothing's wrong with me. Let's go for it. <laughs> like, that's not why they go there. So, so what's great is that you go there with your bag of shit, and then everyone has, like, a matching bag of shit. <laughs> and so you all kind of open it up and go like, oh, yeah. And so, like, none of you give any credit for doing what you're doing. Like, you all just went there for the same reasons. And so... The next conclusion that hits me about that island is that no one there is living their ambitious dream. No one is there to be an astronaut, a doctor. No one is there to be a movie star, a movie producer, a television writer, nothing like that. Everyone is there to live their lifestyle. Their occupation is totally secondary. And you live in this little, tiny, beautiful, blue sea surrounded little sandy spit of people who just work to live. And I remember waiting, uh, reading in my room rather, and a voice comes up my friend Joe, and he says, Matt, we're going to town. And I said, what? He's like, there's a couple of girls staying at the uh, Maho Bay. They want me to take them out. I want you to help me take them out. We're going to go to town. And I was like, I'm really, honestly, I'm in for the night. I, I, I would rather just read. That sounds nice, but I'm, I'm really just chilling out. And he goes, get your fucking shit together. Meet me in my car, and we're going to fucking town. <laughs> and I laughed, and I get up, and I go to brush my teeth, and I'm smiling as I think about my buddy Joe busting my balls, and about five months into working there, and I look in the mirror, and it hits me like a flashbulb. The face I saw smiling at me in the mirror was the same face that I had described to my therapist that I knew was possible. And in that moment, I fell apart. I literally fell on the floor, bawling, crying with joy that I'd finally lifted the weight of the world off my shoulders and figured out what it was like to live as myself and in my day to day. And it was just a wonderful moment that I've never forgotten and uh, defines me whenever I want to keep my fucking shit in check. <laughs> reminds me whenever I let my depression, keep my depression shit in check. And it just reminds me that like when I strip it all away, there's still just a regular guy there that seems to have some good friends and family around him and doesn't fuck up his shit so much. So, thank you all so much. Thanks, I'm Matt Donnelly. Oh shit, sorry. Oh fuck, I'm sorry. It's the holiday show, real quick. So, I finally, I finally did hang out with Doug from Skinny Legs, who owned the bar, from Red Bank, New Jersey. And I forgot this holiday thing, because it was the holiday show. So, I said, I said to Doug, I said, you know what, Red Bank is like beautiful, in December, like when they get all the holiday shit out, you know, and like, and they put the wreaths on the main street and the snow sprinkles. I mean, it's really like a Christmas village in Red Bank, New Jersey. It's like a picture. I said, so I know living in the Virgin Islands is beautiful, but around Christmas time, you got to miss uh, Red Bank, New Jersey. And Doug was this old fucking grizzled pirate of a human being. <laughs> and he goes, uh, tell you what, you go down to Keneal Bay Christmas morning, stick your feet in the water, watch the sunrise, Order a pina colada from one of the waiters walking by and tell me how much you fucking miss Redback, New Jersey on Christmas morning. Christmas 
dreams come true. Hello. So originally I was going to tell a holiday story, but then like three days after Beowulf asked me to do this, he said, do a graphic sex story, which didn't make sense to me. But so now I don't have a holiday story. I have a graphic sex story. So here's your holiday break. Um, Enjoy it. Um, I could be like one of those storytellers that just like added something right at the end to just like tie it all up. Like, and then the two guys were like jizzing on my face and every drop of cum is like a unique snowflake. So that's why bukkakis remind me of snow globes and Christmas. But I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be honest about the bukkake. So, um, so my story, (laughs) my story, uh, it takes place when I'm in college. I went to the university of Massachusetts Amherst and, um, God, I was really hoping there'd be at least one of you. Um, So, and two things you should know. One is that, and you probably know these things already, but in college, everybody is like mega confused about their sexuality. Like everybody's like, just like fucked up about everybody's fucking everybody. And like, you know, like, especially I was obsessed with like straight guys, right? And I I was totally certain about my sexuality. I was like the gay dude who was going to like make it happen, you know? And so... But like everybody else seemed to be sort of confused about it, like especially straight guys who feel like really guilty about their identities in college in a liberal arts town. Um, (laughs) Oh, you don't want to suck my dick? You're homophobic. No, I didn't. That's my new motto, by the way. If it doesn't go my way, it's homophobia. Um, So, so, it's true. So, um, so you better laugh, bigots. So... Anyway, okay, so here's the, here's the thing. So, so everybody's confused. I'm certain. I'm really into straight guys. And also in college, as you know, like everybody's fucking drunk, right? And I am a horrible drunk because my mom just died. This, if I were telling the serious story, it'd be like, because that's the year my mom died. But no, I'm not. <laughs> my mom died. Ha ha. So she died. And I inherited, I inherited all this money. I inherited all this money and I would like just spend it every night at this bar around the corner from my house. I'd be like, here's to all my friends and I would buy everybody a drink, right? And like, they all love that my mom died. So thanks, um, mom. So anyway, so (laughs) there was this bar around the corner and that was sort of where I would consider my straight guy obsessive hijinks took place mostly. That was the hub. And it was called uh, the ABC. It stood for Amherst Brewing Company and Amherst Brewing Company was like, a cut above the rest of the bar so like there was an upstairs a downstairs the bartender there was the manager was Susan Sarandon's brother and he was I'm not lying it was Susan Sarandon's brother and he was kind of a weird dude he was really cool but he's kind of like took himself really seriously in like a gross rockabilly way like he wore like button down purple shirts and had that like pompadour and sort of a wayward like eyebrow and so like this will actually give you a good picture of him. He like he banned my friend from the bar. He kicked her out. And he said, "I don't want you back here until uh, let's say uh, the Ides of March." He said the Ides of March. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's the bar and. There's an upstairs and a downstairs, and I like to think of myself as sort of like the straight guy seducing like Bugs Bunny of the Amherst Brewing Company. And what I mean by that is like I formed all my ethics and morals in college around Bugs Bunny cartoons, which is like a really fun way of saying I'm a shitty person. <laughs> so, so because basically Bugs Bunny could like talk himself in and out of any situation, and you were like you remember you like grab Elmer Fudd and like kiss him on the face and then run away, you know. So I would do shit like that to heterosexual college students. So he, he like, okay, so I was upstairs, and th- this is one of my moves, right? So there was like an upstairs bathroom that was just like a men-only, like single bathroom, and I would go in there and I would forget to lock the door, and like, whoops, some guy would walk in, and I'd be like, hey, bro, who cares, I'm just pissing, you know? You can pee next to me, and they'd be like, guys don't care, you know? And then... <laughs> And then they were done, like they would be peeing and I'd be like, I'd be like, hey, let me help you out with that, the shake, you know? Why do that yourself, man? I mean, come on. (laughs) They never let me blow them, but a lot of times they were like, this is convenient, you know? Like, they didn't want to have to go through that. So, (laughs) 
so anyway, so that was like it. I also had all these lines that I used that to me sound so stupid now, but they worked. So if you're a gay dude in the audience and you want to fuck when you're straight, try this tonight, right? This is one of the lines I used. I was like, hey man, like just because you uh, like to get in the water every once in a while, it doesn't make you a professional swimmer, which <laughs> basically meant just because I'm sticking my dick in your ass, that doesn't mean you're gay. It just means you like to take a dip. You know what I mean? <laughs> So, so, so there, so, so I had those lines, and then also there were, there was even one time when like there was this guy, and I did this very Bugs Bunny thing where we were talking, and I was just like talking, and I got like a little closer to, him. we were like talking about the pool table or whatever straight people talk about. We we're talking about the, and I was like getting a little closer, a little closer, and then I was just like, and I started kissing him, and he like leaned in and kissed me for a second, and then it was like. Also cartoony, because you know how like Wiley e. Coyote like runs off the cliff, but he doesn't realize that he's off the cliff till he looks down, because he was like, oh, hey! and then he goes, he said, "This is a great. I, this is a, my favorite question ever." He goes, "Why do guys always kiss me?" <laughs> Which is like, "Why do guys always jizz in my butt?" <laughs> Squirts. So, so okay. So I'm at the ABC. I think I've set the stage of the manic mess of my college life. So I'm at the ABC, and I'm with three of my gay friends, and it's karaoke night. Now, the only place that <laughs> is sadder for karaoke night than Los Angeles, where it's like actors who are like, this is all I have, you know? It's like, it's a college town because it's all the theater majors, time to shine, like, never gonna let you go, you know? It's like really heartfelt and... Anyway, so it's terrible karaoke night. Everybody's drunk. So this guy's like singing karaoke. I'm like talking to my friends and they're like, hey, look at that guy. And there's this guy and he's like tall and massive and he's like got this plaid shirt on and he's got this sort of scruffy face and he's like the hottest guy I've ever fucking seen in Amherst. He's the hottest guy I've ever seen. And he's like, and he's singing terribly and his friends... But he's straight, so his buddies are like sitting down in the corner, and his like girlfriend sitting there with her blonde hair, and she's like twirling her hair, and she's just like blonde and like titties, and you know, he's just like, you know, has that thing going on. And my friends are like, yeah, like he's straight. His girlfriend's there now. Bugs Bunny that I am, I was like, this means war, you know. I was like, there's no way I'm not gonna have sex with that guy tonight. So. And I'm also just like, everyone's confused. I'm the certain one, I'm gonna make it happen, right? So you, you might or might not know this, that like gay dudes have like signals, like cruisy signals, right? So like one of them is, I'm, I'm gonna be a little graphic here, front row, just enjoy. One of them <laughs> is just scratching your balls a little bit, right? So like if you're a straight person, you see another dude scratch his balls, you're just like, oh, he has a fungal infection. But if you're, <laughs> but if you're gay and you see someone scratch their balls, you're like, oh, maybe we're gonna go fucking a warehouse. You know, so, so <laughs> I don't know where the warehouse came from. Just, I was a spontaneous. Uh, anyway, so uh, he's like, you know, singing whatever the fuck he's singing, and he like scratches his balls for a second. I'm like, yeah, that's it, that's it, fuck yeah. So I like do it back, you know, because he like scanned the room. I'm like, he saw me. So then, like. After he's done with karaoke, he goes to the bathroom downstairs, right? The downstairs bathroom, which has two urinals, a stall, and then like the mirrors there. So he goes, I'm like, I'm out of here, guys. So I like go to the back, to the bathroom, and I'm like washing my hands at the sink, looking at him in the mirror, like peeing. And he just walks out. And I'm like, oh man, fuck. So I go back to the table, and my friends are like, what happened? Right? <laughs> And I'm like, uh, nothing happened. They're like, see, we told you. So the night goes on. We're getting progressively drunker. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> totally not present with my friends. I'm like astral projecting over to his table. You know, like, <laughs> I hear them talking to him. They're like, hey, Justin, Justin. So his name is Justin. I'm like, all right, great. Like, I, trying to figure out some weird Rube Goldberg way to work that into, like, getting my penis in him. So... <laughs> So uh, I like how I make myself a top in the past. That's really funny. Um, so <laughs> this is a people's history of Connor Habib's college career um, by Howard Zinn. So, so, so anyway, I, I'm like getting frustrated. I'm getting drunker. And he goes back to the bathroom again. And I'm like, 
this is it, this is it. So I like walk back, and he's at the urinal, and he's just standing there, like, and I just stand right next to him, and I like pull my dick out, and I'm just standing there, and I, and I go, it's like we have the same schedule. <laughs> so, so he, so he, he looks at me, and then he looks down, and I'm like holding my dick, and he like just walks away with his dick out of his pants into the stall, and he goes, "Come on," and I'm like. So, so I walk into the stall and he closes, locks the door and I'm in there with him and his chest is like at my face, you know, like face level and he's just like huge and massive and I'm just like, so I like, I go lean over to suck his dick and he pushes me back up and he goes, no. And at first I'm like, okay, now like, is he this confused? Like what's going on? And he pushes me against the wall and he goes, I want to suck you, buddy. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so he starts sucking my dick. And it's like the hottest guy I've ever seen in this little town. And he's like, he's just mashing up against my nuts with his beard and just like, <laughs> like string cheeses of like pre-cum like across his face and just like spit everywhere. And just like balls and cock. That's my balls and my cock for the record. And so... He, he does that, and it's, it's like so hot, and it's like blowing my mind. It's like a mind scrambler. And then, and then I hear, hey, Justin? And his, his two friends had walked into the bathroom. So I like, I do this move where I like jump up, and I like put my feet like on the, the toilet, and I like lean over so like they can't see two sets of feet under the stall, and I'm like leaning over so they can't see me like above the partition, the confession partition. <laughs> and he sits down on the toilet, so now I'm like leaning over, my dick's on his shoulder, <laughs> and his friends are talking to him, right? And like, and, and my dick's right here, and they start talking to him, and he's like jerking off, and he's like, oh. And he's like, oh, oh, oh. He's like, just taking a dump, guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> so they're talking, he's sucking my dick, and I'm just thinking like, oh, they're standing there at that urinal where we're standing, like, there's this weird thing about bathrooms, right? Like, if you're gay, you notice that, like, bathrooms are a place where, like, guys just, like, stand next to each other holding their penises, like, that far apart. That's really hot to a gay guy. Maybe not, maybe not the pee part, but just the hold part, you know? And then the shake, that's, like, almost masturbation. <laughs> so... <laughs> So then they like go to the sink and they're like washing their hands and they're like, and I'm like, please let them not look through the crack in the door. Like, please, please, please. And they don't because they're like buddies, you know? And, they're, and one of them goes, man, like Jess has been waiting for you all night. You better finish up that dump, right? <laughs> so, so I guess Jess's girlfriend, so they leave and then I just like get off the toilet and he's like, so you're not gonna come? And I'm like, I, I really wanted to. Like I wanted to come so much that I like, fucking destroyed the Amherst Brewing Company, you know, like, but I didn't, like, I, I couldn't, I cultivated that skill now, like, I could just come right now, guys, guys. <laughs> I'm skillful, but no, I couldn't then, I was like, I'm sorry, and he was like, he was like, that's all right, man, it was really hot, and I was like, oh, it was really sweet of him to say that, right, so I, like, get out, and I walk out, and his girlfriend is, like, standing right outside the door, and she's like, you know, like, has, but has no idea like at first I'm like ah, but nothing you know she doesn't and she doesn't have a, the room like lots of cell phones then she's just standing there like tapping her foot like I think I added that deep. that's a lie she wasn't <laughs> tapping her foot but I like to imagine crossed arms foot tapping so then I like stand to the side and I watch from like <laughs> David Attenborough distance and like I'm like what's gonna happen so he comes out like two seconds after me and just like after like you know sucking my dick and getting like my balls all over his face or whatever he just grabs her and just starts making out with her which is the closest I've ever come to getting a blowjob from a woman. I think. So, 
the thing about that experience, it was the most erotic experience of my life. And I think about it all the time because it wasn't just about hooking up with that hot dude, although that was certainly part of it, but it was like for this weird second, I was like invisibly him. Like I was in the stall while he was talking to his friends. Like I kind of didn't exist for a second. And then he came out and he kissed his girlfriend and I, I was like in his mouth. I was in him while he kissed her. So it was, I was him for a second. I wasn't me. And I thought like, I want to be confused. I want to be this person that's not me. And I want to be this confused person because that is the hottest thing I can think of. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode, folks. It's definitely been the strangest holidays episode we've done. Went kind of light on the subject of the holidays, for example, I know. But hey, you already listened to it, and uh, we can't rewrite the past now, can we? I mean, come on. Get over it already. It's 20 Mickey Ficken 16, probably, by the time you're hearing this. Uh, now, this, of course, is Pansy Division right now behind me. And, guys, I just want to remind you, so many amazing live dates coming up in 2016. On the 15th of January, we're in San Francisco. On a date that is yet to be announced in January, we're in Nashville, Texas. The theme is humiliating. So come on and pitch us for that, Nashville. On the 27th, we do our first Bell House uh, show in Brooklyn, New York. We're on the 28th in L.A. A date that's yet to be announced in Carborough, North Carolina, happens in February. The theme is Holy Shit, so pitch us for that. Austin, Texas is February 12th. The theme is Confused. Houston, Texas, February 13th. The theme is Hostile. Dallas, we're there on the 14th. The theme is Guilty. Pitch us at Kevin at risk-show.com. Don't forget those wonderful gift certificates that you can get at thestorystudio.org. What a perfect gift to get someone a Skype one-on-one session or a one-day or a two-day workshop or even a six-week workshop with us at thestorystudio.org. There's also our shop at risk-show.com for all the merchandise related to Risk. And there's the Support Us page at risk-show.com where you can make a donation and help us keep doing what we're doing. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. I want to be a Christmas present. I want to be a Christmas queer. I want to be a Christmas present. Have a home of Christmas this year. Just as me this Christmas. Tell me underneath the Christmas tree. This me this Christmas. Cause Christmas means fisting to me Cause Christmas means fisting to me